Our text today comes from the book of 1 Kings, chapter 12, verses 1 through 29. And that is found on page 7 in your bulletin. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had come to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of it, for he was still in Egypt, where he had fled King Solomon. Then Jeroboam returned from Egypt, and they sent and called him. And Jeroboam and all the assembly of Israel came and said to Rehoboam, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke that he placed upon us, and we will serve you. He said to them, Go away for three days, then come again to me. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam took counsel with the older men who had attended his father Solomon while he was still alive, saying, How do you advise me to help these to answer these people? They answered him, If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words for them when you answer them, they will be your servants forever. But he disregarded the advice of the older men and gave, and, and gave him and consulted with the young men who had grown up with him and now attended him. He said to them, What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, Lighten the yoke that, the fa that your father has put upon us? The young men who had grown up with him said, Thus you should say to the people who spoke to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you must lighten us. Thus you should say to them, My little finger is thicker than your father, my father's loins. Now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam on the third day, as the king had said, come to me again on the third day. The king answered the people harshly. He disregarded the advice that the older man had given him, and he spoke to them according to the advice of the young men. My father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, because it was a turn of affairs brought about by the Lord, that he might fulfill his word, which the Lord had spoken by a jihad to Silonite, to Jeroboam son of Nebat. When all of Israel saw the king would not listen to them, they, the people answered the king, what, do we, what share do we have in David? We have no inheritance with the son of Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, look now to your own house, O David. So Israel went away to their tents. But Rehoboam reigned over the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah. When King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was a taskmaster over forced labor, all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam then hurriedly mounted his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel has been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all of Israel. There was no one who followed the house of David except the tribe of Judah alone. When Rehoboam came to Jerusalem, he assembled all of the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin 180,000 chosen two troops to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom of Rehoboam to Solomon, son of Solomon. 
But the Lord, but the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to King Rehoboam of Judah, son of Solomon, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people. Thus says the Lord, you shall not go up and fight against your kindred, the people of Israel. Let everyone go home, for this thing is from me. So they heeded the word of God and went home again, according to the word of the Lord. Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and resided there. He went out from there and built Penuel. Then Jeroboam said to himself, Now the king may well revert to the house of David. If these people continue to go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, the heart of this people will turn against their master, King Rehobo- turn again to their master, King Rehoboam of Judah, and they will kill me and return to King Rehoboam of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold. He said to the people, You have gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. In our nation, while we don't have kings to look up to, we do have our leaders, our presidents. And when tragedy happens, or any time of testing, we tend to look to them for solace, to con- for some context to put whatever has happened in perspective. We can remember that when the space shuttle Challenger exploded shortly after launch in 1986, killing all seven astronauts. It was President Ronald Reagan who spoke to the nation and said, we will never forget them, nor the last time we saw them this morning, as they prepared for their journey and waved goodbye and slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. 17 years later, it happened again. The space shuttle Columbia broke up in 2003 during re-entry. Then President George W. Bush spoke saying, the same creator who names the stars also know the names of the seven souls we mourn today. The crew of the shuttle Columbia did not return safely to earth, yet we can pray that all are safely home. And then there was Bill Clinton trying to put in and offer some words of solace after the bombing in Oklahoma City in 1995, telling the people that the evil that had taken place would not stand. He says, there are forces that threaten our common peace, our freedom, our way of life. Let us teach our children that the God of comfort is also the God of righteousness. Those who trouble their own house will inherit the wind. Justice will prevail. My example for Barack Obama is one that I don't necessarily have the words, but it more is the emotion. He spoke at the funeral of Reverend Clamata C. Pickney, who was the pastor of Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina when he, along with eight others in 2015, were gunned down by a white supremacist. Taking on the cadence of African-American preachers, 
the president started to sing Amazing Grace from the pulpit. At that time of anger and shock and horror, his singing helped the people know that this man, the most powerful man on earth, who happened to be the first African-American president, understood the gravity of this moment. When it comes down to it in our culture, it doesn't matter as much about the proposals that our leaders have. It, what matters is how they connect with us. So last week when you were here, we talked about David. And David in this passage becomes the king of a united Israel and he rules for 40 years. When he dies, his son Solomon becomes king. And Solomon is known as one that was wise. He is known for his wisdom. However, if we had read the chapters that came before what I just read today in chapter 12, chapters 9 through 11, you would see that while he was considered wise, he did not always choose the right thing. He, of course, decided to build a temple of God for God, even though God didn't really ask for one. And he goes on a building spree. He builds not only the temple, but a royal palace. And then he decides to build more cities, more cities to store things. And of course, if you're going to build all of this, you're going to need people to build it. So he needed slaves. And that's just what Solomon does, echoing what the pharaohs did to the Hebrews. History doesn't repeat itself, but it definitely does rhyme. And Solomon was definitely a ladies' man. He was definitely loved women so much that he kept on marrying them. He had a crazy number of wives and concubines. And when he started to marry all of these women, he was marrying them from other countries, other cultures. And he started to worship their gods. God has saw this, saw how he was treating the people, saw how he was worshiping other gods, and says to Solomon, enough. The kingdom, God will say, will be torn in two, but not in your lifetime. It will be when your son becomes king. And that's where we end up today. We end up with this character, Rehoboam, who is the son of Solomon. He has now become king. The people from the northern tribes come and they plead. They plead, they want him to be more gentle, that he had ruled very much very harshly. He had actually also taxed the people very much. They wanted something different, a change. So Rehoboam decides to get some advice. And he talks to first to the elders who were worked with Solomon. And these older men say to him that, yes, your father did rule very harshly. So it would make sense for you to rule and to be the servant of these people. So he listens 
But then he decides to talk to his young friends, who are his current advisors, and they decide that he should not rule so generously. Instead, he should rule even harder. And they use a crude and vulgar analogy to show how Rehoboam should rule. So what does this have to do with us? Well, first, I guess we should be glad that we don't have leaders that make crude references to the male anatomy like Rehoboam. We don't have that at all today. I am so thankful for that. But the thing is that a lot of this has to do with us. Because even though we are not necessarily a president or a king, we are leaders at some point. We have responsibility over families. We have responsibility over congregations, over businesses. And the question is, how do we lead? How do we use what has been given to us to lead in a way that is godly? Now, Rehoboam did not really seem to care about his people. And because of this, the kingdom splits in two. He really he actually knew probably what was the right decision. But he, and he didn't really have to ask the advisors for anything. But he wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. The older elders told him how to rule, but he didn't want to hear that. He wanted to hear what the younger people say, who are saying this, and to say it to the people in the most vulgar way as possible. In fact, what he was say, doing was doing what the world required. This is how kings ruled. This is why God did not want Israel to have kings, because they would place harsh burdens on the people. Now, we are all called to lead at some point in our lives, and the question is, how do we lead? And of course, we learn that as Christians by following Jesus. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus hears James and John, and they are arguing, and they're arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus responds, by telling them very boldly, you know that among the Gentiles, those whom they recognize as their rulers lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. What is our church about? What is the church all about? In some ways, the church has a responsibility to the community around it. If it doesn't, it's not really doing a good job as a church. So the question is, how are we leading? 
How do we reach out to people in need? How are we making people know, when, especially when they enter the doors of this church or when we meet with them, to know that this is a place where their sins will be forgiven? Do we see ourselves as servants seeking to befriend the lonely and the lost? And are we willing to take a risk to serve people as Jesus calls us to do? I have been fascinated by what has gone on with Sears. You all know about Sears, a store that many of us grew up with. If you were someone, especially my age or younger, I can remember going back in the 70s, that's where you went to get clothing. That's where you went, and I remember my dad using a, a um, craftsman mower and you got kind of more appliances there. Did you know now that there are no Sears stores in Minnesota? All of them have closed. Sears has been in trouble for years. And the reason, though, that we don't have Sears here and in many parts of the country is not because they didn't keep up with the times, so that's part of the answer, and it's not because of Amazon. It is because of mismanagement and greed. The CEO of Sears is a man called Eddie Lampert. He is a hedge fund manager. He has always talked about a plan to turn, the to turn the company around, when in reality he never did have a plan. The stores languished. They looked incredibly outdated. And there have been wave upon wave upon wave of store closures which led to thousands being laid off and many of them losing their pensions. But the ironic thing is, he will not lose his money. What he saw was that Sears has property, of course, in all of their malls. So he was, since it owned those spaces all across the country, he would, basically, when they ran out of cash, loan money. And since he had become the principal creditor, they had, this company had to pay them, him back, which means closing stores, selling off property, selling off major parts of the company. Instead of offering service to the customers, and that has been very much the rule of, or the way that the Sears had led for a hundred years. Lampert decided to enrich himself and his friends. Greed or service, that's the choice that we have. Rehoboam was greedy. He was drunk on power and he wanted more. He ended his greed ends up splitting the kingdom in two. Eddie Lampert had made millions, but he wanted more. And he was willing and is willing to ruin lives in order to make more money. Now, we aren't presidents or CEOs. We aren't kings or queens. You and I are regular people living our regular lives. But we are called to be church at this place, at this time. And the question for us 
is, are we going to be greedy, closing ourselves off from others, or are we going to see ourselves as servants of Jesus, willing to take risks to serve those around us? I want to close with two stories that I saw in the City Pages, which, if you don't know, is the alternative weekly that comes out here in the Twin Cities. <clears throat> the first story is the cover story for this week. It's about Peace Lutheran Church in Lauderdale, which is a really small community, kind of nestled in between St. Paul and Minneapolis. Um, this church was basically down to 20 people. They only had 18 months of finances left. What I just said should make you think that this church would probably close. But instead, this is what they did, and I want to quote from this. Parishioners decided that if they were to die, they would die well. So they took loving thy neighbor to a practical extreme. Peace leafleted Waterdale with 700 flyers, offering to roof houses, fix plumbing, Repair anything in need, free of charge. A church that was not open much in the week, and people even thought wasn't even open anymore, was now the first place that people looked to if something in their lives went wrong. Strangers decided to donate money to keep the congregation afloat. The little church kept going to be servants in the community, and it is growing because the people decided to take a risk to serve. The second story is about something that happened at a girls' soccer game. The girl, it was between two teams, Matamidi High School and Como Park High School in St. Paul. Matamidi was playing at Como Park there were some boys from Matamidi. And you should know that Como Park is a fairly diverse high school. There were Asians on the team. Some of the boys from Matamidi who were in the stands started to taunt those Asian girls with epithets. That has caused a lot of consternation We are in Matamidi. What does it mean for us to be a church and to serve this community in light of that situation? First Christian is not that different from Peace Lutheran. We are incredibly tiny. I don't think we're as close to closing as they are, but we have to be honest, that is a real possibility. Are we willing to do what Jesus did, to be a servant to the point of death? Are we willing to do what peace did, to be a servant to whomever they could be a servant to? Are we willing to be a servant to the point of death for the sake of the world, or are we going to be greedy, to play it safe? How are we going to live?
Will we be greedy or will we be a servant? That is the question. Thanks be to God. Amen.